Mic check, mic check. All right, it's good to, uh, to see everyone back. Um, if you're new, welcome. Um, my name is Josh. If we have not met, I think I may be uh, early onset menopause because I'm having trouble regulating body heat tonight. So if I begin to sweat profusely in my sleep, it will be confirmed. Menopause jokes. Hey, um, I have a friend named CJ. You can find his digits over on the Pallotwood wall. He leads a co-ed small group. This past Saturday, I went to that guy's house, um, not the squirrel, but CJ's house. And with CJ, uh, I, I taped the first ever uh, seminal episode of the Hangover podcast. Basically, um, what we do whenever we're getting ready to, to teach is we leave all kinds of good bits on the cutting room floor. And, uh, and so CJ came up to me afterwards and said, hey, whenever you taught Acts 1, you went this direction. I thought for sure you were going to go that direction. And I said, great, I'm coming over to your house. Let's talk about it. And so if you go into your favorite podcast streaming device, you can find The Hangover, episode one. It's about 35 to 37 minutes, and I talked about seven of those minutes. CJ was just like, and it's his own personal sermon. That's a true story. That's a true story. And uh, it's really good. It's really good. So look for The Hangover, uh, CS Family Podcast, if you want. And what we're going to attempt to do is if you've got a thought on what we're teaching over the span of the book of Acts, grab me. I'll come to your house or we'll meet somewhere for coffee. And uh, we'll, ha- we'll film The Hangover, <laughs> which is just hilarious. I love it. <laughs> Oh my gosh. All right. <clears throat> Enough of these college jokes. <laughs> then the apostles returned to Jerusalem. We're in Acts chapter 1. We, uh, we commit to teaching verse by verse through books of the Bible here at CSF. The apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill they call the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. The city is Jerusalem. Uh, where we just came from was Jesus just said, bibbity bobbity boop, I'm out. Grabbed, opened his umbrella, poop, up into the clouds. If you missed last week, you missed a lot. Okay. When they arrived back in Jerusalem, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Now, here's the aha for everyone. We made a big deal last week that you don't have to make this place home. We want you to feel like home. We want you to be welcome here. We hope it's an open door for you. Welcome back, Austin. Glad you're feeling better. But wherever it is, we want you to find a place within these first uh, six weeks or so leading up to, to fall break where you know your intentional community. What this functionally means is it's a place where you are knowing others at a deepening, vulnerable level, and you're allowing yourself to be known. The reason I bring that up is because that's exactly what is happening here in Acts 1. The people present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, if you're counting along or not, I'll use my fingers, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas, not to be confused with, you know who, Judas. They all joined together like intentional community. Here is what that intentional community looked like, constant prayer. They joined together continually in constant prayer, and it wasn't just those 11, which is a big deal. It wasn't just those 11. It was the women Now, Jesus alone was instrumental in valuing women in his day and age, bringing women in. We taught a lot about that last week. You can find that podcast. Also, there was Mary, his mom, who the last time we saw her was at the foot of the cross, weeping uncontrollably. 
It's been about 50 days, uh, 40 coming on 50 days. And what we see here is the last time that we're going to see Mary in the story. And not only that, we have Jesus's brothers. Again, this is intentional community who are doing a very particular thing. Whoopsie dips. Yeah, that's the one I want. Um, when they're gathering together, what I need you to know is that the word together shows up from two different authors 11 times in the New Testament. Here comes some fast math. You ready? Two different authors say the word together 11 times, and it is Luke who says them 10 times. When they join together, it's not about where they are. And it's not about how they are. It's about the mood, the word that he uses in its original Greek context. is all about whenever they were in proximity to one another, they were with one mind and one heart. We know that because what they did is something that CSF has kind of coined as love your intentional community. We want you to know your intentional community, the place where you are vulnerably inserting yourself on campus and in the community, a place where you are knowing others and being known. But once you're in intentional community, we want you to love them. And that's what we see here in Acts 1. They're joined constantly in prayer together. This is the foundational statement that we want to drive home for our community. If you're a part of us, we want you to know these words. Know your intentional community and love your intentional community. And that looks like eating with them and praying for them. Wherever you find your deepening community where you're vulnerable, we want you to eat with them and pray with them. The reason I chose eat with is because we all do it, right? So it's easy. It's low-hanging fruit. Love is, uh, is all kinds of, of action here. Um, but praying with is what the disciples continually do. And the reason eating with is so valuable is because of this idea. Praying for, we watch the disciples do it. They're all gathered in the room. But here's this beautiful piece about deepening your intentional community and really loving them. Because we want to be transformed from needing something from people to bringing people in to our influence. Know your intentional community. Love your intentional community by doing one of two things, both of them. Eat with them and pray for them. Hospitality is a big deal, and as a community, we want to be the best at it on campus, okay? It's not rocket science to invite people to meals and then pray for them. Hospitality is such a big deal. There was, um, was it last year? Maybe two years ago, Rosaria Butterfield came and did a series of lectures on campus, and she, from my notes, I went back this week, and I made social media slides. Uh, if you follow us at CSF Indiana, tomorrow what we're going to post up these uh, Instagram posts, so grab one for yourself, but here's what Rosaria teaches you, three ideas. One, different seasons represent hospitality differently. But it's always about loving your intentional community, eating with them and praying for them. But whatever season that looks like, wherever you are, try and get that one right. Here's the second thing Rosaria teaches. Hospitality, loving and intentional community, that's the keys to the gospel. Why would I believe the message that, that, that I'm giving someone if I don't feel safe enough to invite you to my house or at least invite you to a meal and where we meet up somewhere. Eat with, 
and then pray for. If you've been to my house, is Chris Fickner in the house tonight? Bradley? No. All right, so here's the aha. I got a couple college graduates that show up at my house conveniently often around dinner time <laughs> because they're never turned away, and I'm calling them out on the podcast. We're getting it right now. But these, these young guys, they always come through, and it's not even a question in Laura's mind what our next words are. Come on, we've got more. Eat with your intentional community and pray for them. Here's the last idea from Rosaria. She says this, when you love someone well with the gift of hospitality, you are performing spiritual warfare. Getting goosebumps, right? Like that's an incredible idea. What if knowing my community and, and loving my community well was an act of spiritual warfare? I would challenge you all to over the next couple weeks, find the place where you'll go deep, where you're vulnerably being known and knowing other. And then in that space, practice spiritual warfare by eating with those people, but then begin to pray for them because that is where the exit of all this comes from. In those days, this dude named Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120 and said, brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago. He goes on to quote from Psalm 69. Psalm 69 is the most often quoted psalm in reference to Jesus in the New Testament five different times. But Psalm 69 is not what you think, I think, if you'd read it for yourself. Psalm 69 is about the pain of being wounded by a friend. Does anybody know off the top of their head who wrote the majority of the Psalms or who gets the credit? A king back in the day begins with a D, rhymes with Havid. Good, y'all are smart. Here it is. This is 2 Samuel chapter 15. 2 Samuel chapter 15. Read it for yourself and see if I pronounce the names correctly. Then Absalom sent secret messengers throughout the tribes of Israel to say, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpets, then say, Absalom is the king. Now, if you don't know the backstory, here is the backstory. There is a king named David, and it's not a person named Absalom, but this is what they say in the business, a coup. Some of you put the P on it. Don't do that. While Absalom was offering sacrifices, he also sent for Ahithophel, the Gilanite, David's counselor. And all of a sudden, the pieces are starting to fit together for all you sharp people in the audience to come from Gillow, his hometown. And so the conspiracy began to gain strength. The thing that you need to know is Absalom is David's son, who is looking to overthrow his dad for the power in Israel. And the number one way that Absalom is going to make his plan come to fruition is by taking his dad's number one counselor, Ahithophel. And so a little bit later in 15, David is continuing up the Mount of Olives. Time out. Have we heard the Mount of Olives before? Potentially already tonight? Acts chapter 1. Weeping as he went, David's head was covered and he was barefoot. The next part I picked specifically for our crowd, especially after this drum I've been banging, about love your intentional community. 
eat with them, pray for them. Look at all the people who love King David well. What are they doing? They are also covering their heads and they're weeping as they went up. David's people are practicing the spiritual warfare of walking alongside their king in a time of huge pain where your own son is coming to throw you off the throne and take it for himself. Now, David had been told Ahithophel is among the conspirators with your son. And so David prays, Lord, turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness. Now, at that point, you would say uh, maybe several things. There might be questions that are running through your head. But from this place, David writes Psalm 69. And Psalm 69 is the most often quoted in reference to Jesus. And it is about the pain of being wounded from a friend. And here is the thing that I love about Psalm 69 the most. It's David's voice. David is writing in the psalm, and he says in verse 6, Lord, the Lord Almighty, may those who hope in you not be disgraced because of me. So you talk about standing up here, spending a couple weeks on a sermon, and all of a sudden, the things that I say are now valued and given weight in the room. This is my prayer most nights. I do not want to say things that I can't point to in scripture, which is why the core value of training truth and committing to preaching just through the text is one of the most, one of the most beautiful pieces of CSF. Like, I don't want to be the smart person up here. I want to keep pointing at the text. God of Israel, may those who seek you not be put to shame because of me. Young friends, this is you as you leave this place. You who identify as Christians, this might be a great prayer to say, who am I knowing and who am I letting myself be known to? And then how am I loving those people really well? And may they not be put to shame because of the way that we live as Christians. Is this fair? All right, I like it. Let's keep moving. Here we go. We're back to Acts. We're in verse 15, 16, and 17. David said, I'm referencing this psalm where the pain of a, of a wound of a friend was written long ago, and the Holy Spirit spoke through David concerning, and all of a sudden, he's tying that one other Judas, the one that we don't talk a lot about, but tonight's the night, and it's not going to be me, suckers who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number, and he shared in our ministry. Here's the thing you need to know as a setup for Grant Gardner. It's this. The other Judas, the one that we ought not talk about, he was the one who delivered Jesus to die. Give it up for Grant Gardner. go back behind here. I feel like a rapper. (laughs) Just kidding, I am. (laughs) All right, so I'm going to start off by reading some encouraging words from Acts 1, 18 through 19. Let's see. Whoa. I went back a little bit. My bad. 
Keep going. All right, I can't read the small words, my bad. All right. <laughs> With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field there, and he fell headlong. His body burst open, and his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language Al-Kedama. That is the field of blood. Now, okay, probably not encouraging, but <laughs> when I heard this, I was like, dude, if you think the Bible's boring, check again. This is something out of a story, you know? This is a little horror story. So, but the first thing I thought of for the little film, film freaks in here uh, was this little scream. Oh, there we go. Ever wonder why so oh. many movie screams sound the same? So that's what I thought going into that. <laughs> but hopefully, to go on a more encouraging note, we can uh, take this around by hopefully adding a little bit to Judas's character that you may not have thought before. And bef like starting off, this is coming from Marty Solomon. He has a podcast called Bema, which uh, you guys should check out. But it was his recent episode on Judas, and it was a really cool. So I also did some research and looked at some stuff, and so hopefully we're going to go into the backstory of that. And so uh, scholars suggest that Judas was a zealot, and that's what Marty talks about. And I was like, why do they suggest that? So I looked it up, and uh, his last name, Iscariot, can also be defined as similar to the word Sakari, which means dagger man. And why is it dagger man? Because these guys carry daggers on them at all times, just in case they needed to assassinate a traitor. It's a little Assassin's Creed right there. <laughs> I thought Sicario the movie. <laughs> that was a little Josh in there. But uh, yeah, they were a group of ultra zealots who, uh, who hated the high priests. They thought the high priests were traitors. And so there's even been cases of them going into the temple and assassinating the high priests because they believed the high priests to be sell out to Rome that they were corrupting the people. And the main mission, they thought, was that if they could come to, if Israel could come back to God, the zealots thought this, that the Messiah would be sent and he would become a great military power and restore them to what they were like with David. And so, um, Judas, being this passionate about stuff, might not have been trying to sell Jesus out intentionally in the way that you would think, but may have been trying to force Jesus' hands by having him confront the high priest and then having to go all on those bad boys. And so, <laughs> um, so we're going to be reading maybe what Judas might have been reading, which he probably was, which is Zechariah, little Zechariah 11, 12 through 17. So this is the Old Testament. This is prophet Zechariah when he was getting voted out, kind of, of leadership. Uh, I told him, if you think it's best, give me my pay, but if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver. Sound familiar? <laughs> and the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the handsome price at which they valued me. 
So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them to the potter at the house of the Lord. Then I broke my second staff called Union, breaking the family bond between Judah and Israel. Then the Lord said to me, take again the equipment of a foolish shepherd, for I'm going to raise up a shepherd over the land who will not care for the, care for the lost or seek the young or heal the injured or feed the unhealthy, but will eat the meat of the choice sheep, tearing off their hooves. Now, Judas could have been interpreting this as the high priests. And so then it says, woe to the worthless shepherd who deserts his flock. May the sword strike his arm in his right eye. And may his arm be completely withered in his right eye, totally blind. So he might have been reading this and thinking the high priests were this and that Judas was supposed to do this. And so when Judas talks to Jesus and Jesus says, go do what must be done, he might have just been like misinterpreting that. This is all just speculation. You don't have to believe this. <laughs> um, but... Marty's also suggesting from a, Jude, uh, a Jewish standpoint, we're going to turn to Peter's story, that from a Jewish standpoint, when Peter denied Jesus three times, he also insulted Jesus in the highest regard because the worst insult you could have from a disciple to a rabbi is to not even acknowledge knowing your rabbi. And so this was an insult so much to the degree that like, when the angel appears to Mary, um, to tell her that Jesus has raised from the dead, she says, go and tell the disciples and Peter. And it's good that she makes this clarification, the angel makes this clarification, because if not, you might have assumed that they wouldn't have told Peter because he wasn't considered to be a disciple anymore. So, something to, <laughs> something to think about. Question, this is a little turn and tea, a little turn and talk. T stands for talk. <laughs> uh, how do we think about Judas versus Peter? All right, bring it back, bring it back. All right. So, what do we think? What, is, what do you think about Judas versus Peter? What do you guys think? What are some thoughts? Throw them out there. One at a time. All oh, right. Little Abigail. Nice. Love that. So we're going to be going to this. Marty suggests the difference between the betrayer and being the leader was how each ended their stories. Judas took things into his own hands and killed himself. And Peter humbled himself before God and chose a different path and chose to let God do what he does. And this is inspiring to me because I've been Judas before. I've been Peter. I've betrayed Jesus. But the th thing that brings hope to me is it's not about what I've done, but it's about what Jesus has already done for me. And through that, I can find hope that it's not about what I did, but it's about how we end our stories. It's about what we let God do through us. And so with that, if you have any questions, bacon, a little too hot.
Mic check, mic check. All right, hey, um, really good job, Grant. Here is a question that um, I would actually love. Um, thank you to all who texted in last, uh, last week. We asked you uh, to shoot us you know, kind of a new or, or get connected, or a new or a home. Um, it was awesome. We had over 140 people text back in, and so that was super cool. Um, Judas is an incredibly, like, hot topic, right? Uh, especially just throwing out a couple ideas there to think through. So if you've got something that you have been uh, baking... Um, we know what's going to happen. We just want to... You don't know what's going to happen? I know what's going to happen. Oh, it's too hot, too hot, too hot, lady. Gotta run for shelter, gotta run for shade. All right, so for real, um, here's what I want to do. Uh, I want to get maximal use out of that video I made this week. And so if you would text a too hot question, I promised that I would go around and film other CSF staff answering them. And so send them to me, and then I will turn right around and hand them to the appropriate staff. So if you've got something that you've been baking uh, that is too hot to handle or maybe say out loud, maybe something from the summer, uh, there's your number. Snap a picture of it, but then text it in. I'll leave that open for a whole week, and then what I'd love to do is start to make videos based off of these hot potatoes, as you will, Uh, and so if that's you, uh, let us know. Here we go. We're going to move back into and shut down Acts chapter 1, the rest of the the chapter tonight. Uh, It is necessary, this is Peter talking, to choose one of the men who've been with us the whole time. The Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. Now, when Peter's saying this, remember last week, Jesus was right here with us. And now we have been a Sabbath day's walk. Was anybody like, whoa, it's a Sabbath day's walk. Sabbath is uh, the day that where there are strict limitations on how much you can move because the Jewish people never wanted to work because God said, take this day and rest. And so what they began to do is put uh, rules in front of Sabbath for how much you could even walk. So the answer is, obviously, oh, one kilometer. I thought we all knew that. Okay, so anyway, a Sabbath day's walk. And so that is the amount of time that has been taken since Jesus was up from us. And for one of these, must become witness to the resurrection. Now, two things that are really interesting right here that some of you may geek out on, some of you may not. Did you remember how many people were in the upper room, that in first intentional community that we looked at? Yeah, about 120, remember? It was the 11 uh, apostles and then the women uh, and then some of the brothers is what the, what the text was talking about. So 120 is the, is the functional number that represented in the Jewish world community. The functional number that represented community was 12. Now, uh, was 120 to be considered a community. Now, why would 12 be such an important number from that same Jewish context? The tribes of Israel, someone said it back there. I started to hear the murmur. And so here's the aha in Peter's mind. In Peter's mind, we have to get back up to our number 12 so we can be a complete community in order to fulfill what is going on. And so one of the things that that Peter said was he has to be with us from the time of Jesus' baptism all the way until the time of his resurrection. He must be a witness of these things. And so this word apostle is incredibly important. We will see it all through the book of Acts, and as you read the New Testament for yourself, you'll see it again and again and again from the mouth of a guy named Paul. 
here's what the apostle criteria was. It could be one of the 12. Uh, functionally, it means someone who is sent, someone who is given authority, or even more importantly, one who is commissioned by the resurrected Jesus. Now, Paul is a writer of many of the letters in the, Old, or in the New Testament. We're going to see his story starting in, in Acts chapter 9, and then he, Paul is going to close down the book of Acts for us. We're going to follow him. And this is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. So Paul received something. He was a sent one, an apostle. Christ died for our sins. Here's the message. According to the scriptures, that's why we always are tying back to the Old Testament, that he was buried, that he was raised. We've got to make a big deal that not only did Jesus die, but he was in the ground for a while and that he was raised on the third day. Third day is an important number also because it, it determines that the spirit has actually left the body. So this is not a ghost walking around because one of the first things Jesus did when he came back was teach and eat with his intentional community, and he taught them about the kingdom of God. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Here comes 1 Corinthians, the big close. He appeared to Cephas, that is Peter. Peter's the guy that Grant told us about, the guy who denied Jesus three times. And in the book of John, what we have is the story of Jesus looking at Peter and three times saying, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Reinstating him completely. It's a big deal. Then he appeared to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Last week, what we did is we said over 40 days, there was a series of many convincing proofs. And I asked you, what would you need to be convinced how about 500 eyewitnesses? Maybe that'll work for y'all. Most of whom, at the time Paul's writing, are still living, though some are snoring. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also. And then Paul has this really abnormal way to say, I didn't actually see him in that 50-day window. So he said it in an abnormal way by saying, I am one abnormally born. And so you'll have to stay with us and read the book of Acts to understand exactly what is being said there. Here's my close. My close is this. Your call tonight is to dig deep into a community somewhere on campus, somewhere in Bloomington and to know and be known in that space. And then you are to practice hospitality, to eat with and to pray for. Because if we want to be people who are sent, people who speak the hope and the spiritual warfare that Jesus came in the kingdom of God to tell us, then we have to encounter him. You and I must see Jesus and know him for ourselves, for anyone to take us seriously. And that is the call of being a Christ follower. And here's the hope that shows up in Acts. It's why we chose it. That yeah, Jesus was, uh, died, and yes, he was buried, and yes, he was raised on third day, and yes, he appeared to more than 500. But the book of Acts next week is going to tell you and I that his spirit is now for you. The reason we tell this story again and again and again is because we want to encounter Jesus as one abnormally born and know that his spirit is in us and we go from there. So here's your walkout 
and I'll pray for us from here. Guys, move through your world tonight and tomorrow and this weekend as one who is graciously bringing people into community, not to consume them, but welcome them. Because in knowing and loving, you begin to grow your spiritual influence. Sound good? If you got stuff that stuck out from tonight, stuff that we didn't uh, touch on, maybe you want to make a little hangover podcast with me. Talk to me afterwards, all right? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we, uh, yeah, man, we, we hear this call. We hear this call to, uh, to be your people. Uh, we hear this promise that your spirit can be ours and... Um, God, with humility, uh, we confess that we don't live in that way. And, and with humility, we confess that we don't understand often what that means in my day-to-day. So help us to rest in this space as uh, with the words that you reinstate us when we fail and that you love us and send us again back out that we can know you and you'll change us amen uh, if you'd like to pray with somebody uh are people wearing our connector shirts they're gonna be around the other side of the wall they'd be happy to pray with you some of our staff will be out there um, and so in our last couple songs if that's something you want we want to do that with you Bring when you walk into the